Welcome to the Strengthening a Palliative Approach in Long-Term Care Alliance podcast, exploring challenges and best practices in palliative care approaches for individuals in long-term care. Sandra Chow is a recently retired teacher and program consultant who worked for 30 years with the Waterloo and Hamilton Boards of Education. She has continued her learning in retirement with courses from the University of Toronto Continuing Studies in Mindfulness-Informed End-of-Life Care. She also recently became involved with a community of practice for strengthening a palliative approach in long-term care. Welcome to the podcast, Sandra. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'd like to start by having you tell me a little bit about your background and and how you became involved in in palliative care and long-term care. My mom was in long-term care from 2011 to 2014, where she did pass away there. Um, And so my interest in what takes place there and how people are seen, how how family is seen, um, come from a personal starting point. And I saw that there was a course through University of Toronto, Continuing Studies with Mindfulness-Informed End-of-Life Care. So that kind of opened up some new opportunities and ideas. I was reading our local paper, and I read an article written by a researcher at Mac, at McMaster, and um, it was about palliative approach to long-term care. And I thought, wow, I'm, I'm really interested in that. So I yeah. Googled her and looked her up and connected with her. That's great. Can you tell me a little bit about your experience with your mom in long-term care and the palliative care approach? Her care was great. It was a positive experience with the resources and people they had. They really worked hard with the people they had. Mm. As far as a palliative approach, apart from the annual care conferences, which really looked at, do you want heroic measures at the end or do you not? Uh, DNR or no DNR, really making sure that they had those directives clear. But as far as the day-to-day, how how um, her preferences and our wishes and values, it, not that they didn't weren't interested in it, but they just didn't have time. The PSWs were wonderful, and but apart from doing the basic daily needs with the residents, there wasn't a lot of time for slow, slow conversation. Right. So did that leave it to you? Um, with your interest in palliative care? We actually hired private PSWs when myself or my siblings couldn't be there because we were all still working. There was someone to you know, be by her side during the day, someone to take her for walks and those things that she really enjoyed, but those things the staff didn't have time to do on a regular basis. Right. And I guess, you know, you were able to afford that, but I guess if you can't afford to hire someone privately, there's a real gap. There's a huge gap there. We were very grateful and uh, recognized that it was uh, a luxury to to be able to do that. My mom uh, had dementia, so there was a lot of anxiety, and and just to leave her in that anxious state was it was really yeah, it was difficult. We we didn't want to do that. A 
PSW, in fact, have told me that they develop such a close relationship that it really does open up opportunities for a more palliative approach. And I wonder if that's the experience that you saw with the PSWs that you hired. Um, in a way that we kind of set up what my mom likes and, and you know her, her interests, uh, there was still um, a lack of training in palliative care uh, mm. for the PSWs. More training on palliative care uh, would have been beneficial just for the, the, the small nuances and even the big ones. Like, you know, the weekend before my mom passed away was her time to have a shower and, and we had to say no. It was going to cause more stress than comfort to go mm. into the cold shower room and, you know, those kind of things. Like, the PSWs are so trained in their daily care schedule that um, recognizing that it's okay to shift it in palliative care. So now you've been involved as part of a community of practice. Can you tell me about that community of practice and what you've learned about the state of palliative care and long-term care right now? The information has been vast and deep, and uh, it's really hopeful the the interest and the research and hopefully the money that is going into a palliative approach and that it is recognized as more than something that happens just at the last couple of weeks of life but yeah. over time and involves uh, more than just the person who is dying but the family uh, and their chosen family everyone involved um, so I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit about relationships in long-term care homes. I know that PSWs and other healthcare professionals in long-term care often develop these really close relationships with the residents. And I think probably that leads to relationships and conversations that might actually include some palliative care conversations about wishes and, and how residents are feeling. And I, I wonder what you think about that. We were very protective of my mom, and uh, we were there very regularly. So the the PSWs knew her wishes through our voice. But I know not everyone has the uh, time or the luxury to be there so regularly. So those conversations are really important with people uh, on staff and people in long-term care homes. But I'm thinking that there would have to be training for those PSWs or for anyone involved in having potentially those uh, palliative conversations. And I'm, I'm wondering if there could be like a champion on the floor or someone who could, uh, a person that either PSWs or even family members could go to to have a conversation about palliative care and what that might involve. Yeah, yeah, because it's interesting, you know, that it, while you appreciate those relationships, you also want to be sure that both on the resident side and from the staff side that they feel comfortable and prepared mm -hmm. to, to have those conversations should they arise. I was told by one nurse that there was always this one nurse on the floor that you know, she knew how to speak to the residents and she had this way about her and, and this uh, comfort with having these kind of conversations and she would mentor the other staff. So maybe that's kind of what we're talking about here. It would be fantastic to have someone in that role, both mm. for the workers at the long-term care homes and the families. I, I speak from the family point of view and if there was 
someone that we could have gone to to have conversations, there'd be a lot of comfort in having some information about palliative care from someone who was an expert. Right. And and also a way to maybe approach families to help them know that these conversations do occur. Sometimes, you know, residents feel comfortable with speaking with someone and, and, and what that means for families so that they can make some, some sense of it. And I think it would be important for families to understand that that's okay. Absolutely, it's okay, because the bottom line is we do want what's best for our loved ones. So I wonder uh, what would be important for um, not just the healthcare workers and long-term care to know, but, uh, but families to know about end-of-life care and wishes and um, what would be really important for them to understand uh, at the end of life that would really help strengthen that palliative approach to care? I think if families were more informed about what palliative means, I think even before I was involved with it, I really did think it meant death is in a week or so, but it could make the experiences of families and people in long-term care homes more comfortable if those conversations happened, you know, what was important to this person. It's important for families to know about end of life, where do you want your loved one to be resuscitated if they have stopped breathing? So those kinds of black and white things are, are, are really critical to have in place. I think home, long-term care homes, it sounds like they're, they're good at that. They, they can get that answer. The what makes a person who has a life-limiting illness comfortable and happy and, and values honored, what are those day-to-day things that happen along the way? Well, that's a conversation that has to happen through a conversation. I think some of those things and getting a sense of the person can really help staff in long-term care better understand how to really optimize that approach to the end. My mom all along had said that she didn't want any heroic measures at the end of her life. Her wish was that when she got to the point of naturally dying, she didn't want a feeding tube or hydration measures that would prolong her life Mm. without changing the outcome. Right. So my mom was kept quite comfortable with medication and people being present, hand-holding, but we didn't, um, she didn't have hydration and feeding measures put in place. We think that they're hungry or thirsty if they haven't eaten for a few days, but when someone is actively dying, they feel things differently than we do. And I remember feeling a little bit guilty from the nursing staff and PSWs that we weren't doing everything that we could be doing, when in fact we were carrying out my mom's wishes and with um, maybe with deeper training in palliative care, that that incongruency wouldn't be there. Right. So they, they were thinking about, you know, all the care you can get where you were thinking that the right kind of care for this point in time. Right. We had switched from cure to wellness. Yeah. And that brings up a really interesting point because, of course, you had the knowledge to 
be able to say this is what my mom wanted and this is what we're going to do and you understood what it meant I can imagine some family members might be frightened or not have the knowledge to be able to say we're going to stop feeding without having enormous guilt or you know sort of saying do everything right to the end because I don't want my my parent to suffer right I think we're programmed to do everything we can do in any situation to have the outcome that we think we want to have. But without, I think without training or that knowledge, your outcome isn't necessarily what the wishes are of that dying dying person. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe even, you know, that's part of the education when a family member, you know, comes with a resident to be able to, you know, the long-term care staff to be able to say, here are some of the things that you need to think about, you know, and, and here's what they mean so that families do feel a lot more comfortable about um, making the kind of decisions that uh, are as best for their loved one. I think it would be really helpful to have some sort of toolkit or set of resources available to families when they come in to long-term care or before they come into long-term care so that you have almost a menu of what might be possible. Yeah, that's a fabulous idea. Sometimes when we were in the home, we would see someone else getting, you know, art therapy or, you know, a dog coming in to visit. And then after seeing it, you would ask, oh, how do you access that? So then that could be set up. For people that aren't in visiting their loved one regularly, they might miss out on those opportunities. Mm. So if family members knew all of the things that were available and to be able to choose from those what they think their loved one would enjoy rather than finding out about it and then accessing it. I think that might be helpful. So that that toolkit that you talked about could, it it almost has a sort of a medical component to it and a non-medical, very much a wellness and and quality of care. Yeah, that would be, that would be great. Yes, (laughs) that would be great. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the courses that you've been taking in in mindfulness, end-of-life care and informed end-of-life care and a little bit about how that's helped you? The program, it's a six-part certificate course uh, on how to use mindfulness and mindful meditation to attend to a person who is dying and to attend to everyone involved in that person's care. It really distinguishes between two fundamental approaches to healthcare, which is the first one to fix the person, and the second one is to Uh, more of a restorative stance um, and a focus on wellness. We tend to think that we're at the end of the road, Mm. but this course with a focus on mindful and mindful meditation, we can start thinking about the end of one approach, pause and shift to another approach, which attends to the well-being. What a great course for anybody to take. It must really help you understand a bit more about the process, but maybe also help other family members go through this process. Yeah, it gives some concrete things when we feel like there's nothing we can do, that there is a 
almost a toolkit of things that actually we can do. And, and that to me seems like the core of a palliative approach that all of these things that we can do when we think there's nothing we can do. Absolutely. Thank you for speaking with me today. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Strengthening a Palliative Approach in Long-Term Care podcast. For more information about our project, visit spa-ltc.ca.